411 Live. Well, you can learn about issues that affect us every day. State of world, 411 Live. Real people, real talk. Made to help people in our community in every way. For your girl, 411 Live. The first time I heard or learned about uh, gerrymandering was in the seventh grade in my civics class. And lately, I've heard that word a whole lot and how it's being used in a way that's resulting in an all-out push for voter suppression, especially, and get this, especially if you're black or brown. And, you know, that's not what this country is all about, is it? Hello, everyone. I'm Beverly Taylor. This is the 411 Live, Real People, Real Talk. I'm really, really, really excited today about my guest, and that is David Daly, and he is the author of a national bestseller, Rat Eft, Why Your Vote Doesn't Count, and Unrigged, How Americans Are Battling Back to Save Democracy. He is one of the foremost experts in partisan gerrymandering, and he's also a senior fellow at Fair Vote, a nonpartisan champion of election reform. David, welcome. A pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Oh, I'm excited. I really am. So we talk about, uh, first of all, the name of this book, Rat <laughs> F. So nobody, nobody says it all, but, you know, usually, do they? They all just kind of refer uh, to usually, rat but F. you know, I mean, as a reason, you know, <laughs> it would be nice if my mom could know I had a book, but uh, that's just not the way it works sometimes. <laughs> but you know, it's very catching, so it it serves it its is. purpose. That's for when sure. you write a book about partisan gerrymandering, you can't have a boring title. I mean, mm-hmm. let's face it, you talked about learning about gerrymandering in civics class in seventh grade. You didn't say whether you stayed awake during that entire class, right? <laughs> the word gerrymandering is sometimes like an insomnia medication. It puts people to sleep. And yet it's so crucial. It's so important. It's at the heart of how we are represented in this nation. Um, so we had to find a catchy word to kind of grab people and say, hey, yeah. you might not know what this is. You might think you know what this is. You might think this is really boring. But this is really, really important. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Rat Eft talks about uh, how Republican political uh, operatives kind of rig the American democracy through redistricting. Um, It's a master plan. And it's something that you kind of think of going to the movie and seeing this up play out but this is all your lips to god's ears come on (laughs) (laughs) but it's real life so kind of give us that that basic that you know 101 on red map sure we've had gerrymandering in this country for as long as we've had politicians right Mm -hmm. you can trace it back to the very beginning of this country patrick henry tries to gerrymander james madison out of our very first congress so Politicians love the ability to draw their own districts, to choose their own voters, to lock themselves into power. Both sides have done this for a long, long time. The modern era of redistricting really begins in the aftermath of Barack Obama's victory in 2008. And this is the second consecutive election that Democrats win 
huge victories. Of course, in 2006, kind of the response to the the failures of the Iraq war and the beginning of the, right. the crashing economy um, really knits together a coalition that political observers had seen coming for some time, sort of the changing demographics of the nation, the uh, the changing racial and ethnicity patterns, um, political patterns among younger voters, all of this coming together in Obama's historic victory in 2008, the election of our first black president, but also these huge democratic majorities in state houses around the country, a super majority of 60 democratic US senators, imagine that in this day and age, mm-hmm. um, and a high watermark in the US house for Democrats going back years. and. If you go back and you look at the coverage of this on election night of 2008, um, you had the brightest minds in both political parties on all of the networks, left, center and right, talking about how this was the new emerging Democratic majority and that the Republican Party could be a minority party in this nation for a generation. And right, it didn't exactly work that way, did it? Um, And that's because there were a handful of Republican strategists who understood that, yes, 2008 was a historic year, but that the 2010 election could be much more consequential because every 10 years after the census, what we do is we redraw every state legislative and congressional district in the country. That is redistricting. Um, And they said, well, okay. How can we use redistricting as a path back to power? And they said, well, in just about 80% of our states, it's the state legislature that controls redistricting. So what happens if we study the rules and figure out who's got a seat at the table in all of the most important states, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Ohio, Michigan, North Carolina, Virginia, Florida, Texas, Alabama, Indiana, And how can we draw lines after that, that lock ourselves into power for a decade? They call this REDMAP. It's short for the Redistricting Majority Project. Republicans spend $30 million, that's that chump change in American Mm -hmm. politics, right? Trying to win back state legislative chambers in 2010 in those crucial states. They won all of them. They have not handed back a single one since. And this has remade our nation, our politics, our policy at every level from the state legislature on up. And, you know, they did it in some kind, sometimes some really bad ways. I mean, they threw out ads and sometimes those ads were totally untrue. But they kept piling them on. I think there was a I was reading somewhere in here about a legislator in Wisconsin, whereas they went to his district and filmed people saying, you know, we we just have to get rid of him and plastered that. And he lost. Yeah, I think what happened here is you had national Republican strategists who understand the focus group and Mm. really tailor-made negative ads for direct mail and kind of how to identify the issue that will outrage people 
And then they had the money to turn that into something completely different. It's not what you usually see in a state legislative race. A lot of these races are usually sleepy and they're local and there's no media or TV ads in a race like that. I mean, how many times do you see a state legislative ad on TV in Wisconsin? Usually the budgets for these races are really small. And this is why the Republicans identified them as such a possibility. I mean, it's Moneyball in a lot of ways, right? I mean, yeah. if you read the, the, the Michael Lewis book um, or saw the movie um, with Brad Pitt about Billy Bean, the Oakland A's general manager, who becomes so good at um, identifying the loopholes that allow you to compete at a bigger level against against. Mm-hmm the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Dodgers, right? Um, And what the Republicans realized is that the loophole in the whole process was state legislatures, that they had this outsized influence that nobody was paying any attention and that it didn't cost very much to play in that game. So they brought these national techniques and big dollars into these sleepy local races. They caught all of these Democratic incumbents unaware Mm -hmm. and they dumped... $100,000, $200,000, $250,000 of highly sophisticated, targeted negative ads into these local races in the last six weeks of a campaign when these incumbents were swamped, they were drowned, they didn't have the ability to respond, and they all got wiped off the face of the earth, and Republicans won these chambers, and more importantly, the right to redraw the districts in all of those chambers for the next 10 years. So that's chapter two, drawing those maps. Yeah. And that, you know, I'm thinking, you know, we're in Wisconsin and I'm mm. remembering how, you know, the there were Republican lawmakers and the groups going across the street from the Capitol to a law firm, locking the door and drawing these maps. So What makes this different from Patrick Henry days or way back when we've got all of this um, technological, uh, the advances, we've got the dark money as well. Uh, So these maps look like puzzle pieces, right? Yeah. um, And sometimes people get caught up in how they look. um, And you can have a really gerrymandered map that is a square, right? Mm -hmm. But oftentimes they do look really, really wild. Um, But the key point there, I think, is the technology. Um, We have had gerrymanders from the very beginning of the country, and they've not been as effective or enduring as the ones that we have experienced since 2011. Even the maps that were drawn after the 2000 census in 2001, if a gerrymander would oftentimes work its way out over the course of a decade as politics changed, as demographics changed, as people died, as new voters entered the electorate, as issues emerged like the, you know, 2002 was a big year for Republicans after the 9-11 response and 2006 and 2008 are big years for Democrats because the war soured and the economy went uh, downward. So it, it was still possible for waves to create shifts, even against the maps that were drawn um, a cycle or two ago. In 2011, that changes. 
And to me, the big difference here indeed is the technology. It is that these maps are being drawn um, on, on powerful, fast computers with this super sophisticated geographic information mapping software, and then just the terabytes of data that are available on all of us. Some of it is public data, right? Some of it is all of the demographic and economic detail in the US census that is broken down block by block. Um, some of it is other public information that we provide all the time. What political party are you registered with? What are the voting results in that precinct? What years do you vote and what years do you not vote? Do you show up in all the local elections and the off years or just in a presidential? What kind of a car do you drive? Um, do you have a gun license or not? You can learn an awful lot about your voting patterns simply based on all of the information that is available publicly. But then there's all of the private information that was not so much available in 2001 when the internet was still relatively new. By 2011, we have scattered all kinds of breadcrumbs about ourselves all over the internet in our, in our searches. You know, it's, it's how those ads follow you across every single site you look at, how you might mention something in an email and then suddenly it, it, it pops up in your Facebook feed. Um, and we have left a lot of that information around as well. And that can be purchased and sold and matched back to us and our addresses. So when map makers are drawing these crazy lines, they, they often have a really specific reason behind them. These maps were surgically crafted um, in order to deliver a specific partisan result. And then these operatives spent months perfecting and refining these drafts, putting them through, through six, seven dozen different versions sometimes, noticing the, the hundredths of a percent of an advantage that they would give them and just absolutely perfecting them, testing them against mathematical algorithms. And what you get in Wisconsin, for example, as a result, is a map that Democrats can win 54% of the vote, and yet Republicans can win 64% of the seats. That's that is not an accident. It is intentional. So the politicians are picking their voters instead of the voters picking their politicians. That's absolutely right. Yes. That's frightening, too. What's so frightening about it is there's not much you can do about it, um, because once that's been done, you know, it's really hard to out organize or out turnout or outvote a partisan gerrymander. You might increase your voter turnout, but you simply win by a larger margin in the districts that you've been allowed to win in. What this has created in many states, including Wisconsin, is effectively Republican minority rule in which they cannot lose no matter how many fewer votes they receive. It's not just in Wisconsin, although certainly you are a poster child for this. Mm -hmm. After the 2018 elections, 
there were 59 million Americans who lived in a state in which one or both chambers of the state legislature was under control of the party that won fewer votes in that fall's election. That's just about mm. one in six of us. After the 2012 midterms, the congressional midterms, Democratic candidates won 1.4 million more votes nationwide. Republicans won 234 seats to 201 for Democrats. Barack Obama's second term was effectively finished the night that he was reelected because Republicans held on to the House right. with fewer votes. We, of course, don't elect the House through a national popular vote. We don't elect much of anything through a national popular vote, sadly and unfortunately. But it's extraordinarily rare to have that kind of a disconnect between the popular vote and the number of seats. But it's not been rare over the course of the last decade. It's become the rule. Yeah, kind of the norm right now. Okay, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, I want to talk about the effect of this redistricting, this gerrymandering this, that has occurred and voter suppression. So stay with us. We're talking to David Daly. He is one of the experts on partisan gerrymandering, and we'll be right back. Have you ever seen somebody treated unfairly because of the color of their skin? Do you guys know what it means to have white privilege? What is racism and what do you think about it? Talk to young children about what racism is, giving them the language to understand it. They can be disruptors. They can shape and shift culture. We may not always know the answer, but we'll try and help you learn. You don't have to have all the answers, but that doesn't mean we can't start. See us dream, see us remember, see us protest. You matter, your feelings matter, your identity matters. Everything about who you are matters. See us fight back, see us rebuild, see us shatter stereotypes, see us inspire, see us united, see us now. Welcome back to the 411 Live, Real People, Real Talk. My guest is David Daly, and we're talking about gerrymandering, voter suppression. We've talked about the red map, how that all came about. Republicans get tremendous gains, um, kind of locked in, have these safe seats. You know, what does that do to somebody? Because if you're running, say you're a Republican and you're running and you know that your district is majority packed uh, Republican, then your your focus is a little slanted. You're not looking at pleasing everybody, but you know you you feel comfortable doing kind of the extreme. Am I, I think right? that's right. I think that there's two real impacts here. The first is exactly what you identified. It is that a representative no longer feels accountable to the entire district. A, a representative is, as a result, then insulated from the voters and is freed to act in ways that oftentimes voters disagree with. Um, the collective power of this is a legislature that is authorized in many ways to behave in ways that citizens don't want. So you can take a look in Wisconsin, right? Mm -hmm. um, you had um, you had several police shootings in 
Wisconsin over the course of this last year, um, in which in which um, people were killed. Right. Um, you had the a case in Kenosha, Kenosha. for yep. example. Um, and after that, there was a Marquette University poll that suggested as many as 70 percent of voters in Wisconsin wanted to see new laws on guns and policing and, and criminal justice reform. And so your governor, a Democratic governor, called a special session of the legislature. The legislature simply gaveled in right. and gaveled, gaveled out. out. Mm-hmm. Both chambers took about a minute to gavel in, gavel out, nothing considered, no reforms made. They did not feel they had to listen or even give lip service to something that 70% of voters wanted. And I think you can see the same legislative arrogance when you talk about things like mask mandates in the middle of a pandemic or forcing voters in Wisconsin to the polls last April to vote in in statewide primaries and judicial elections, even at a time when COVID was running wild across the state and across the nation. Um, you, You don't have to do what the people want done and there's no cost that can be enacted. Um, so I think that's a crucial, crucial piece of this. But the other piece is that it simply pushes both sides further and further into their corners because the only voters who you have to be accountable to is the base of your party, the base that turns out in a party primary. And let's face it, we probably couldn't even say the date of the party primary. I couldn't tell you when the party primary in Massachusetts is. You probably couldn't tell me the date of it in Wisconsin. Most people can't. It's usually a low turnout, summer, sleepy affair. And, but those are the voters who you have to worry about. And they're the most rabid. They're the most serious. They're the most engaged. They tend to be the, the, the most active in the base. And so the only thing you are worried about is a party primary and pleasing those voters at the fringe. So once you get to Madison or Boston or Washington, D.C., you are not interested in compromise or consensus building or any of these things. That's the kind of stuff that used to be the art of politics. And now it's the kind of thing that gets you a primary challenge. And it's the only way you can lose. Yeah. So, you know, the takeaway is you know, you have to vote um, in those sleepy elections, as you say, uh, in, in midterms and that kind of thing. You have to go to the poll um, in in great numbers, even if it's not a presidential race. To make all of these elections of matter, all, all of, of these matter. elections matter and all of these offices matter up and up and down the ballot. Wow. Okay, so when you look at, you know, they don't have to be accountable to, you know, the broader, uh, uh, you know, population, feeling comfortable doing the extreme. And that leads to the whole voter suppression things, because, you know, you got the voter ID, you've got, you know, reducing early voting, all of these things that could decrease 
say, black and brown vote who liked like the early voting, like the mail-in and that kind of thing, right? I think that's right. I think the very first thing you tend to see from a gerrymandered state legislature is laws that make it harder for people to vote who are not voting for them. Um, and you can look across the country and you can see example after example of this. Certainly, you can see it in Wisconsin, where one of the first things your legislature did um, after 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 the gerrymander allowed them to uh, was to pass one of the toughest voter ID bills in the nation. Uh, and we know, we know because there have been academic studies that have have gone through this and 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 have made clear what the impact of that bill was. The the tens of thousands of people uh, who may have been affected, and um, the many more who simply had barriers put in front of them that they had to find a way to overcome. And a state like Wisconsin might be extraordinarily gerrymandered at the state legislative level. Those aren't the elections that they're trying to impact with legislation like this. What they're trying to impact are statewide races that are extraordinarily close in a state as purple as Wisconsin. So your governor's race, 2018, it's a very, very close race between Governor Evers and Scott Walker, your presidential elections in 2016 and 2020, um, very, very close victory for, for Donald Trump in 2016, and um, um, just as close in 2020 for Joe Biden. So when you're talking about 10,000 votes, 20,000 votes, like we are at the presidential level, you don't have to do a whole lot to make it more to make it more difficult for black voters, brown voters, young voters, people who tend to favor Democratic candidates to just try to trip a few here and a few there. And pretty soon that adds up. It's why we see this in Georgia. It's why we see it in Arizona. It's why we're seeing it in Texas. It tends to be the states that are very close or where demographic changes are happening that the party that has gerrymandered themselves into power are afraid of. Yeah. All right. I, you know, we're running out of time, but okay. So what will change the tide of all of this or what, what can be done? Oh, now you're looking for me to take off my rain jacket and provide some hope <laughs> and some optimism. Yes. <laughs> um Listen, I think that this is a very, very difficult problem and that this is going to be hard to unknot and the courts are not going to be our ally in this. Um, what the courts have done on gerrymandering and redistricting in addition to uh, voting rights and the Voting Rights Act have been, have you know, the courts have been a wrecking crew mm. on this issue. Um, you know, Democrats have got complete political power in Washington right now. Uh, they've got the White House in both branches of Congress. There are a couple of really important bills. You've got the For, uh, the, the, For the People Act, which has become the Freedom to Vote Act, as well as the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Um, those are Senate bills one and four. And I think that those are both really crucial bills. Uh, the first that would put a ban on, on partisan gerrymandering nationwide, 
and uh, the second that would restore the full protections of uh, preclearance of the Voting Rights Act that the court gutted in the Shelby County case back in 2013, um, and also the full protections of Section 2, which have been weakened over the course of the last few years as we, well. That would go a long, long way towards yeah, got um, that filibuster stopping this. Hurdle. And that's the problem, right? <laughs> um, yes. The problem there is that you've got a couple, you, you've, you, you need 60 votes in the Senate and the Democrats have got 50 and they don't have 50 votes that are willing to change the Senate rules on the filibuster. So I very much worry that the Democrats who are not going to back filibuster reform are picking this Senate rule that has been used uh, to deny basic civil rights um, as well as majority rule to Americans now for more than 100 years. They're essentially favoring that rule over democracy itself. Um, the good news here is that voters hate all of this. Voters hate partisan gerrymandering. I mean, if you look around the country after, after 2018 and 2019, 2020, you had voters in Virginia, Colorado, Missouri, Utah, um, Ohio, Michigan, who all enacted reforms of this process and who uh, tried to create guardrails and protections and to try to rein in the worst excesses here. And we're talking again, 60, 70 percent of voters in these states voting for change. That's not just one party. When you've got 70 percent of voters in in Ohio, you've got you've got everybody coming forward and saying right. this is not the way this is supposed to work. So, I mean, I think that's what this is going to take. It's going to take all of us standing up here, you know, and realizing, I mean, Dr. King talked about the moral arc of the universe being long, but bending towards justice. You know, it's taken a really long time to uh, bend towards justice. But what I think we need to understand is that the arc doesn't bend on its own. The arc only bends on all of us, grab it with both of our hands and pull it in the direction that it has to go. And that that is all of our jobs. Democracy can't be taken for granted. Democracy is not a noun, it is a verb. It's something that we have to tend and work at or else we can lose it. Um, so it's, you know, it's an all hands on the arc moment for American democracy. All right. Everybody has a role, basically, right? I think that's right. All right. David Daly, uh, time went very fast. There's so much more we could talk about, uh, but thank you for sharing this amount of time with us. You've been a great guest. And I read your book, enjoyed your book, and I recommend your book. So thank you. For thank joining. you very much. I appreciate what you guys are doing yes. with this podcast. It is a, a terrific series on, on, a, on a really important topic. So thank you for doing it. I agree. I agree. David Daly, everybody. Um, his books again, Rat F, Why Your Vote Doesn't Count and Unrigged, How Americans Are Battling Back to Save Democracy. Thank you again for joining us. Anytime. And thank you for joining us for another edition of the 411 Live, Real People, Real Talk. Remember, we're a nonprofit organization, so if you're so inclined, be sure to go to our website, the411live.org, and help us out. Until next time, I'm Beverly Taylor, and this is the 411 Live. If you would like to check out past episodes, there are many ways. 
Go to your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Like and watch us on Facebook. Watch and subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you have suggestions for future episodes, go to our website, the411live.org.